As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. It's the Totally Football Show, European edition. Today, PSG, Bayern Munich, Real Madrid... What's up with all the big teams getting beat this weekend? And how the Merengues aren't the only hot club PSG stars like going to. How Luis Suarez had Barcelona's number and how they still have his. Empoli's car dealership nightmare and how no one's actually bothered about the Nations League. Plus, Bernard Tapie bows out. We have a final curtain call for the man who ruled Marseille in Europe and broke all the rules to do it. All that and more in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Tuesday, 5th of October. Listener, thank you for joining us. It's a European edition of the Totally Football Show with uh, Julian Laurence. Hello, Jules. Bonjour. Raphael Honigstein's also with us. Hello. So is Alvaro Romeo. Hello, James. And we're joined by James Horncastle, too. Hello. James Horncastle. Yep, there he is. He's pumped. He's pumped for the Nations League. <laughs> the Nations League. You know what? I can't get out of my head is, I don't know if it's because the proximity I was sat next to him, but all week I've just had mercy, mercy in my head from Jules celebrating that first goal for PSG. My daughter sings it all the time. It's amazing. Good that you got your celebration in while you yeah. could, Jules, <laughs> because, because the weekend wasn't quite so special for no. Messi or PSG. But we all know that Rennes is a much better team than Manchester City anyway, so in a way I can, I can understand the defeat. The well, it's certainly empirically better than Paris Saint-Germain. We'll touch on that game very, very shortly. Um, but let's begin, hey, with a moment of the weekend from you all with Paddy Power. Alvaro. Well, the moment of the week is a record, James. Uh, Iñaki Williams, a striker from Athletic de Bilbao, has played 203 games in a row in La Liga, one more than the previous record holder, who was La Rañaga, former Real Sociedad player. So, from the 20th of April of 2016, he has played in all La Liga games, Iñaki Williams. So, hats off, this is the record for La Pantera, as they call him. La Pantera. Very nice. Un unlike the other Pantera, he works 100% of the time. Uh, Rafa, how about for you? I think it was Philip <laughs> Kostic's winner against Bayern Munich, seven minutes from time. 
raus auf Kostic. Das ist seine Position. Philipp Kostic, 2-1 Frankfurt. Unglaublich. Sieben Minuten vor Schluss. Frankfurt 1-2-1 against the champions. And this uh, Kostic was the first winning goalscorer for Frankfurt in the capital of Bavaria since 2000. Good Lord. When Jan Agifjotoft managed to do the deed. Mm. Big moment. Do the deed. Mm. Yeah, it was a, a, a bad moment for anyone who just published an article talking about how Nagelsmann had fine-tuned Bayern to be even better than before. But we'll, we'll touch on <laughs> what really. went wrong. The trolling. The trolling <laughs> going oh. on so far. Wow. I'll get mine very shortly, I'm sure. Jules, what was your moment of the weekend? It's a sad one, of course. It's Bernard Tapie uh, passing away, the the legendary Marseille owner and president, and who was far more than just that, who had a thousand lives and who uh, died uh, on Saturday at 78 uh, from cancer. And I mean, we 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 had a show about him during the pandemic because he deserved one, to be fair. And we obviously talked a bit more about him during the show. Excellent, yeah. Actor, MP, singer. singer. MP. Football Minister. boss, convict. Nice appears yeah. she to send him off with a, by, by, you know, with a defeat. You know, as yeah. a Marseille. So he would have a... He would Although, have obviously, mm. as you know, the paradox is he's a pure Paris born and bred kid too. Ah. So that's the big paradox. Crikey. What a man of many facets. James, your moment of the weekend? Well, I think it's only appropriate that we go from um, Sex Panther to, uh, to Lion... Uh, that is that is Latin Ibrahimovic, not not a human. Uh, it was his 40th birthday. Uh, Milan got him a cake, some prosecco, a nice bottle of red wine. His wife then uh, threw a surprise party uh, on the top floor of the uh, Hyatt Hotel in Milan, which lit up its facade in uh, red numbers four zero, uh, just for Zlatan. Zlatan, by the way, who's played what half an hour this season? Feels like he's only played half an hour all year. Uh, because he's he's always injured. But uh, many happy returns, Zlatan. Um, your content is, as always, brilliant. <laughs> Putting food on your table, uh, James. Um, <laughs> yeah. While, um, while the, the lion was absent, the Liao certainly did the business for Milan. Nice. Uh, nice. Sunday, as, as we'll touch on uh, later on. OK, uh, very good. Let's start in La Liga. The Totally Football Show European Edition's Moment of the Weekend. Brought to you by Paddy Power. If one leg of your 4 plus fold ACA lets you down, get a free bet on all football leagues and all markets. Max free bet £10, minimum odds 1 to 5 per leg on an exclusive no shop bets. T's and C's apply. 18 plus be gambler aware.org. Se mete la pelota larga. Se mete la larga. Mano, mano, mano. Chuta. Gol, gol, gol. Que te digo. Y gol. Vaya jugada. Pa' casa, rey. La Liga, Alvaro, round seven and crisis for the big two in the Madrid-Barcelona doubleheader. You had Espanyol beating Real Madrid, whilst the Catalan Capitals' second team got beaten again by Atleti. Let's start, though. With that Espanyol victory over Real Madrid, only Espanyol's second win of the season, but Real Madrid's second defeat in a couple of days after their shock uh, downing by Sheriff a midweek. 
It was a very bad week for Real Madrid against Sheriff. It was more than an accident, I believe. It's one of those losses that they make you lose a little bit of reputation among your opponents. And uh, Real Madrid probably cannot afford many many losses like that. At the end of the day, they are the best club in Champions League history, and suddenly they are losing against uh, a club that uh, many of uh, the Real Madrid supporters probably didn't know about a couple of months ago. And against Espanyol, I think Real Madrid uh, had an abysmal game as well. I want to pinpoint, number one, that Espanyol was brilliant uh, because the likes of Raúl de Tomás and Barba uh, and all the players involved and the manager, Vicente Moreno, they have, uh, you know, uh, returned to La Liga and they seem to be up for the challenge. The team hasn't changed a lot from the team that uh, got relegated to the second division in 2020. In fact, the investment, or the biggest investment that Espanyol did um, in the past, or in the last uh, 18 months, was in January 2020, when they signed heavy in order to avoid relegation. Well, they got relegated, they got back to La Liga, and so far they've been very impressive. They almost uh, drew against Atletico de Madrid, but they lost in the last second. Against Real Madrid, they beat them. And Real Madrid, um, they were showing that sometimes it's all a one-man show. Benzema had to do everything. By the way, Benzema is doing everything. He has scored already nine goals in La Liga, and his goal against Espanyol was beautiful, really nice as well. His shape is fantastic, but Benzema alone wasn't enough. And I think that it was a well-deserved loss for Real Madrid and a very bad week for them because... Mm. You know, if they had done the logical thing, they would have like a proper cushion at the top of the table and they have lost that chance because this weekend Barcelona has lost because Sevilla has lost and Real Sociedad, who is also fighting for the top positions, has have drawn. But yeah, they didn't manage to beat Espanyol. So what's behind this fall off in form? Because there was the, the draw with Villarreal last weekend, then the midweek defeat and, and then this. And and looking really shaky at the back. It's almost like letting uh, Ramos and Varane go is, has not been a benefit to them. Yeah, I think that that was never going to work very well for Real Madrid. But you could argue as well that having David Alaba and whoever played alongside him was enough, uh, at least not to be disastrous in defence. I think that the problem is far bigger than who is playing in the centre-back position. I think that Casemiro uh, hasn't been at his best this season and he offers so much uh, help to the defenders. I believe that when Ferland Mendy is back, uh, probably he will play on the, on the left. He's a very good defensive left-back. That will send Alaba to the centre-back altogether with Militao and when Carabajal is back because he's another absentee, Real Madrid is going to have a very competent uh, defender on the right as well. So I believe that this can be improved, but yes, it's true that defensively Real Madrid is not doing very well. And uh, at the beginning of the season, we were saying that despite their defensive deficiencies, Real Madrid was still very entertaining and they were winning games. Vinicius Jr. was scoring goals. But uh, they haven't been entertaining in the last couple of weeks against Villarreal. They were reduced to zero goals. Uh, they scored only one against Serif, even though they could have scored four or five. Yes, we know that. And against Espanyol, I think that they weren't the better team at all. So, yes, there are things to address in there. And um, I really want to also underline that I think that Carlo Ancelotti is not getting his rotations right. Sometimes he's putting in the team too much athleticism. Sometimes he's using uh, Tony Cross and Modric. Tony Cross is back. And uh, all together, they don't seem to be able to handle the midfield. So he has to tune a little bit better the rotations as well. Probably he's getting to know the squad too. And I will give him some time. The good thing for Real Madrid is that they are still topping the table. Mm. But they haven't played any high-profile game so far. Uh, only in the Champions League against, against Inter. So let's see what they do against Barcelona, against Atletico or against Sevilla. 
Okay, they are currently level on points with Atletico and Real Sociedad, who drew with Mallorca at the top of La Liga. Three points above Sevilla, who had their first defeat this weekend away at Granada. Barcelona dropped to ninth after a 2-0 defeat away at Atletico. Crikey, Luis Suarez getting his revenge here and his goal celebration, simulating a phone call after Kuman dumped him by phone. Hmm. Crikey, this was big. It was very big. I'm not too convinced about uh, Luis Suarez's explanation about the phone call thing because they asked him after the game, why did you do it? And he said literally, uh, I do it for those who know that I still have the same phone number and mm. I am still using my phone. Uh, and then he said, it's not for command, but if he wants to take this personally, it's fine. But it was a joke for my guys. I'm not too sure about that. I'm not you know, going to speculate what is it about, but the truth is that Luis Suarez, when Kuman arrived at Barcelona, uh, he was ostracized and he was training football in one of the small grounds at uh, Barcelona's uh, training ground. So, of course, he's unhappy about uh, how his uh, situation was dealt uh, back in the day. And, you know, for Barcelona, it was another terrible night. Uh, they haven't won any high-profile game over the last two years, probably. The only one that I can remember of, uh, and James maybe may correct me, but I think that they beat Juventus in the Champions League last season in the group stage at Juve Ground. But then Juventus inflicted them a defeat at the Camp Nou. So that was the only high-profile game that uh, they have won with Ronald Koeman. John Laporta, the president of Barcelona, said before the game that Ronald Koeman was going to continue at Barcelona. Let's see for how long. But it looks like during this international break he's not going to be sacked. But the team has a problem with the scoring. Gerard Pique said at the end of the game that they could have played for three hours and they wouldn't have scored. And in all fairness, that is very true. I mean, if you mm. check the numbers, I mean, I'm just going to recap some numbers. I mean, 15-16 season, uh, when Messi, Neymar and Suarez played together, they were ripping apart everyone and they scored all together 131 goals. Then Neymar left, uh, Barcelona started scoring less goals. And over the last four seasons, Lionel Messi always scored about the 30% of the team's goals. Last season, he scored the 35% goals of Barcelona in La Liga. And Lionel Messi has gone, and Antoine Griezmann left in the deadline day. So, right now, it's all about Memphis and Luke de Jong, what they can do up front, just uh, crossing the fingers for Ansu Fati to be the player that he was, and for Dembélé to recover. So, this Barcelona team is having a problem with the scoring, and they mm. need to start scoring very quickly, because... I would say that in La Liga the situation is not critical, but it is in the Champions League because they, right. they got zero points. And now they, they have to make sure that they win at least three games if they want to be in the next round of the competition. I'm very surprised Jules isn't rubbing it in because where's been Messi a, now? He's been a nice man so far. <laughs> I just, I've just taken a decision to never say the name of the Barcelona manager anymore because he's dead to me. So, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm happy to say the Dutch guy, the manager... The, the guy on the bench, but it, it, keeping him is just a waste of time. Whether they have the money or not to sack him, I don't care. It's just a waste of time. Maybe they could get De Boer to replace him. That would be great. <laughs> so um, it's curious, though, big clubs and Barcelona are all struggling this week after the Champions League. Bayern getting beaten, Paris Saint-Germain getting beaten, Real Madrid, as we heard. Is there some kind of common link between that, do you think, Rafa Jules? I mean, from Bayern's point of view, no, because they they lost the game that they should have won fairly easily. They created so many chances against Frankfurt. They found Kevin Trapp, of mm. former PSG fame, of course, in splendid form. 
uh, thwarting a Lewandowski point blank save. Gnabry hit the post of an empty goal. So there's nothing that Bayern did really wrong, um, apart from maybe one or two lapses of concentrations at the back. But the game was good enough in terms of the performance to to warrant yet another win. So I don't think we can read too much into it. And the players and Nagelsmann seemed fairly relaxed afterwards because of that. Okay. What what about to PSG, Jules? Yeah, I think so. I thought PSG didn't play well apart from 20 minutes in the first half. So it's not the same as, as Bayern. But I think maybe mm. physically it starts to get a bit tiring. We saw Leipzig leaving it quite late, to be fair, before before winning. Dortmund as well. Uh, I mean, Chelsea was Chelsea struggled. They won, but really late too. United struggled as well. So maybe, maybe there's something and maybe this international break comes at the right time for some clubs who've been playing every three days for the last two right. months, pretty much. And not just playing, it, it, given what happened against Rennes, might it be that PSG's midweek partying after the win over Man City at the Medellin <laughs> nightclub wasn't such a good idea, Jules? Maybe? Maybe, although they had the Wednesday off, so you could, you know, with Wednesday off, you can go out and party, and the Medellin right. is certainly one of the favourite places uh, for Marco Verratti, especially, and Kylian Mbappé and Neymar too. Right. And, and a All few of them others. have exemplary fitness records. So that's, that's The best great. about Verratti is that considering he's only trained twice before the game, uh, hadn't played for a month, came off because he could not run anymore, he had cramps, and then still found somehow the energy to go to the nightclub up to 5am. I find that absolutely amazing. He's a, such a legend. And that's why we love him so much. Yeah. But Jules, no, no suggestions that any of them played between the lines at uh, Medellin, right? <laughs> oh, oh, that's very true. <laughs> oh, in the pocket. We'll hear more about those Medellin kids uh, a little bit later on, but let's just get a bit more from uh, La Liga. You mentioned Inaki Williams with his extraordinary record. Also worth noting this week, Alvaro, uh, the first managerial casualty of, of the season. Yeah, Paco. Paco López, he's been uh, sacked as Levante manager. They are winless this season. The Levante is winless in the last uh, 16 La Liga games. And it's a real shame because I think that the president of Levante wanted to keep him. But, you know, the results just uh, weren't uh, not good enough. And Levante needs something. They need an uh, electroshock, if you like. And a new manager will certainly br- bring that. The truth is that with uh, Paco, Levante found the stability. I cannot recall... Uh, in my life and probably in the last 60 years, a Levante team that has stayed in the top flight for such a long time. And this team has been about entertaining as well. Some of the finest La Liga games that we have seen over the last years, uh, they have had Levante there. Uh, for example, this season there was an excellent 3 all between Real Madrid and them. Levante has been able to beat Real Madrid a few times, also Barcelona, also Atletico. So, you know, I don't think that Paco will have any any problem to find a new job in La Liga anytime soon, considering as well that uh, there are some managers who are very close to being sacked too. So if uh, Paco won't... No, Mitchell, for example, is one of them. Uh, or Robert Moreno from, uh, from Granada. So let's see. But I think that uh, one of the best... Uh, stints of Levante in La Liga, or the best periods, uh, have had... Uh, Paco as the manager of them. Uh, did I see an extraordinary link between Brendan Rodgers and the Barcelona job, by the way, over the weekend? You saw that, uh, probably, yeah. Uh, I think that it comes more from English uh, media, English outlets. Uh, right. I remember as well when uh, Ernesto Valverde, before he signed for Barcelona, Arsene Wenger was, was one of the candidates in England. 
And then Barcelona normally they do their thing. They go for managers who have played for Barcelona, who know the Barcelona style. The thing is that the Cruyff style and all that, it's a word that has been deteriorated over the time as well because they use it mm. too lightly, I think. But the main idea of John Laporta, ideally, he wouldn't like to keep Ronald Koeman. The thing is that there is no strong candidate and there is no... A lot of money to sack the manager, that to start with. And secondly, I think that they want to make the next step very carefully because John Laporta has never sacked a manager. Uh, when he was uh, the president of Barcelona, he got Frank Rijkaard and then he got Pep Guardiola. He never sacked any of them, I believe. And uh, I don't think that this is a president who likes to make decisions like this. He wants to stick to someone he believes in. So mm. he's going to wait. Xavi should be the next one. Robert Martinez, uh, the Belgian manager, has been one of the candidates. But let's stop. Let's wait and see. Last Saturday, uh, John Laporta said that Koeman will be his manager. We don't know for how long, but at least for at least two more weeks. Uh, by the way, if you enjoyed Villarreal's uh, ultimately doomed performance away at uh, Old Trafford last midweek, you'll be excited to know that that fellow, Arnat Danjuma, was once again on form Grunveld. this weekend. Who? Yeah. <laughs> All my Grunveld. life I called him the Grunveld until... Yeah, only until, you and James until from Castle. Yeah, right. only you and James, and James from Castle call him Right, so the official team man. list has his name as Grunveld. But anyway, you'll have seen him, listener, as Dan Juma the other day against Man United. He looked great, and he certainly did at the weekend as Villarreal beat Betis, highly touted by Alvaro Betis, 2-0. But so the Grunveld thing, explain that, James or Alvaro. I can't explain it. I've done commentaries with him on the pitch, calling mm. him like that, Grunveld. Maybe I've been very unprofessional. I don't know. But I never called him Dan Juma until August. <laughs> James? I mean, logic would would tell us that one of his uh, one of his parents is is called Gudrun. I think that's no? what it is. Yeah, I think right. that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. it's as simple <laughs> okay. as that. <laughs> that's how it works, James yeah. Richardson. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, well, we'll leave that um, hot topic, a listener. Next up, oh, Jules. Yeah, he will soon link up with Serge Aurier, of course, who is signed for Villarreal as a yeah. free agent, <laughs> and Unai Emery worked with him. And his craziness in Paris before, so they know each other well. That's an interesting addition. When when was that decided? Uh, it, it will happen. It will happen if it hasn't happened already. Uh, it's gonna happen soon. I mean, it's a clever signing because Villarreal has been playing with Juan Foyt as a right back, and he's clearly not a right back. He can mm. offer a service in that position, but he cannot be your right back. Uh, you know, uh, looking ahead to the season. Fair enough. All right. Next up, Ligue 1. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Jules, former Marseille owner Bernard Tapier. Did you ever meet him? Never. No. Oh. No, never. My dad met him. Oh, yeah? Uh, yeah, of oh, course. What was the occasion? Because during one of the many trials that he had uh, regarding 
you know, doping. He obviously went went to jail for nine months for match fixing and all of that. But it was all, there was also another trial uh, about doping that some of the Marseille players were doped before Champions League game, Champions League final, etc., etc. And my dad got somehow involved because he's a doctor and and uh, yeah, all of that. So my dad met him, but I never, unfortunately, never met him. Okay, what's your best Tapia story then? There are so many, really there are, um, because he also did great things and I think he, he, he was a great guy if you just focus on the, the positives and yet there's a lot of negatives, but the positive, how he could make you believe that anything was possible, why he, can, why he could build everything he touched for a moment. That's the problem though, the rise to success was such a short time and certainly much shorter than the fall that he experienced in pretty much everything, whether it's cycling, you know, TV shows, as an actor, as an MP, as a, as a government minister, as a football man, a chairman, owner, even sporting director when he came back to Marseille in the early 2000s. But he, he had this incredible quality of making you believe that anything was possible, that you could do it together. He... And that's what everybody said from Tony Cascarino in the Times on Monday when we record this, which I thought was a, a wonderful testimony about Bernard Tapi. But everybody that's known him or met him, how demanding he was for sure, but also how incredibly persuasive he was and convincing in making you believe and do things, even the bad things, but everything um, like he wanted it. And, and I think that's an incredible quality to have in a way, if you use it well. The problem is, of course, all the bad things and and that will also forever be there with him. But when you see how much Marseille is, is mourning Bernard Tapie today and since since the weekend, you can realise that he gave them more than happiness. It was it was like a god over there. And I think it's it should not just be about the bad things that he did, but also the really positive things that he did for, for millions of people. Mm. Certainly for the club, extraordinary period of success. Five French titles during his ownership and the Champions League title as well. Although, mm. did they ever get those titles taken away from them or were they just kind of left with an asterisk? Only one league title had been taken away from Marseille. the one in 92-93 season when the one just before they won the Champions League final. When To make sure that the Valenciennes players didn't play 100% and were too physical or aggressive and risk some of the Marseille players to get injured... He paid some off, uh, you know, to to play softly. So that's the one that was... But there's so many stories. I mean, maybe the best one, just quickly to finish on him, was the one in the Champions League before the semi-final in Moscow when this guy from the club came up in the press box with a little piece of paper and passed it on to all the French journalists who were there. And when you opened the paper, it was the score of the game. And that was before the game started. So it's pretty good. You have to laugh. I remember Arsene Wenger uh, found him particularly uh, hilarious. Any, anyway, yeah, yeah, they, yeah. there you go. Bernard Tapie. Arsene always used hmm. to say that when the Marseille-Monaco happened and he was on the Monaco bench, yep. they were playing at 13 against 9 because two of his players were actually playing for Marseille uh, because they were bribed. So, yeah, that's the idea. Ah, oh, dearie me. Uh, a very colourful life. Indeed. Yeah. And Bernard Tapie... Uh, right, oh, Marseille lost this weekend, Jules. 2-0 at Lille. Lille are back, Marseille mm. back to the drawing board. What's what's going on? Exactly, James. That's the right way. No wins in four now for Marseille. They're struggling. They're not as uh, entertaining as they were before, but it's not even that. You could see they're a bit tired and you could see that Sampaoli is a bit struggling to find the answers to the problems they have. 
they conceded goals and they were fairly beaten by Lille, who were, who were really good. And you're right, they're back and, and I think they're going to get better and better because Renato Sanchez is going to come back soon because Ikone and Bamba are going back to, to their best form. And they were very good at, at the weekend. And for Marseille, I think it is a bit worrying because as good as we saw them earlier in the season, now they're really playing average football. Marseille now lying fifth, fully 10 points behind Paris Saint-Germain, who, as we mentioned quite extensively, also lost uh, this week against Rennes. This happens all the time with Rennes and Bruno Genesio. Why is that, Jules? Yeah, I don't know. In fairness, Rennes played well and they took their chances well. And Gaëtan Laborde, who has scored six goals now uh, in the seven games that he played in Ligue 1 this season, is, is playing really great. They scored just... Before the break and just after the break, PSG had a good spell in the first half where Mbappé missed a big chance. Messi hit the bar. Messi was really good. But all the question marks this morning in France are over Neymar. Maybe he was already thinking about meeting up again with his sister in Brazil during the international break or something. But he was certainly not in Rennes. That was not him playing with the number 10 on his shirt. Maybe it was James Horncastle. I don't know. But I don't know. Some, some, something... If I wrong. were playing, it would not be Ren. It would be horrendous. There you go. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure even you could have done better because that was dreadful, really bad. And I don't think he was just into the game at all. I don't think he was. He wanted to be there, but that was really bad. And I think already the team with the, the front four, the M&M plus Di Maria, is already a bit unbalanced, as we, we've explained many times. If on top of that, individually, those players are no good, Mbappe missing chances, Neymar being completely absent, Di Maria, so-and-so, there was only Messi really the first half. And then I think he also gave up saying like, listen, I'm the only one trying here, you know, stuff this. I'm not, I'm not doing it anymore. So that second half was, was terrible. Seriously? They had no shot on target in the end. Yeah, it was bad. Apart no, from those you... 25 minutes in the first half, the rest was really, really bad. Seems like um, they kind of take it in turns to get the hump with the club. This week it's Neymar, previously Messi, Mbappe on other occasions. I'm not sure Neymar had a hump with anyone. It's just he didn't turn up. He started and played, had a lot of the ball, like the whole team, but didn't, didn't really do anything with it. It was really one of his worst games, I think, and he, he's had some bad ones, but L'Equipe gave him two out of ten in the ratings, which I think is, is fair, although maybe even slightly generous. Because it was it was really it was really embarrassing kind of performance. Um, so yeah, I don't know, I don't know. It's it's funny how you can go from the city game to the Rennes game, uh, and and again maybe if they score early, the chances that they had it turned very differently. But they didn't, and Rennes played well, and Rennes, as we know, exploited this imbalance and going on the wing, and they were very good. Hakimi had a torrid time against Suleimana, who's really really such a bright young player. Same on the other side with Nuno Mendes. So, in fairness, it was coming, I think, in the league. And, and it's a good, good warning sign, I think, for PSG. Jules, I think that uh, Radio Monte Carlo is going to publish an interview this week with Jérôme, Roten and Mbappé. Yeah, yeah, tonight on the show, yeah, on the radio show. Yeah, and Mbappé will admit that he refused to, to accept the contract extension or he, he asked to leave. Is that correct? Yeah, that's exactly what he said, which we kind of explained on the show before, the fact that he said to the club he wanted to go and that he was down to the club to accept or not, he would be happy to stay. And he says in the interview that he's staying and he's happy and he's been happy all his time in Paris. But he said to the club, I don't want to leave on a free. I want you to get some money from me. I want to do the right thing. 
which I think in, from him is is a it is a good thing. But he also said, but I won't extend. So it's either you let me go now and you replace me and you use that money to replace me or I will leave on a free in one year. So at least we know now for sure. And again, we've said it before, but we know for sure because it comes from him that he's not going to extend his contract now. So he will leave next summer on a free, very likely to Real Madrid. But it, it was, I think it was good for him to do this interview now and because he hasn't spoken since the, the summer and at the end of the transfer window. But this is all why his team had briefed us through the summer anyway. So there's nothing new really apart from the fact that now it's him saying it. And, and in a way, you maybe understand more the position from PSG. It's like, okay, we know you want to go, but we don't think that we can replace you right now and we don't want to let you go anyway. And that power struggle between them and Real Madrid and the triangle with Mbappé, I think was quite interesting during the summer. And they clearly decided to sit out on 180 or 200 million euros. Extraordinary stuff. Anyway, for now, at the top of Ligue 1, it's squeaky bum time really for PSG as their lead drops down to just six points over Lens, who are second place after their 2-0 win over Reims. Down at the other end, still bottom, Saint-Étienne. Quite appropriate, James, given their initials are... Ass. <laughs> James. I'd... That's true. Don't Although that's it was the, the 123rd uh, Ronde Derby against Saint, like, between Saint-Étienne right. and Lyon under the pouring rain. And it was great. It was absolutely great. OK, so this was the Ronde Derby, as you say, with their arch rivals and neighbours. 1-1 it finished. Shout out once again to Les Verts keeper, Etienne Verb, which is... Uh, <laughs> Mother was a Pantone chart or something like that. Um, but uh, And also the Leon keeper, Anthony Lopez, who got sent off for a uh, pretty bizarre sortie out from his area. Yeah, handball, uh, 10 minutes from time. I'm not sure if the ball would have gone in because he was really far. He was easily 35 yards away from his goal and clearly stopped the ball, but it's impossible for us to say if the ball would have gone in or not. But certainly that helped... Saint-Étienne to then come back and get a deserved penalty right at the end for a handball by Denier. And Robbie Kazri, who missed a sitter early on and nil-nil very early in the game uh, and hit the post, this time scored the penalty to make it 1-1. I think it's a fair result, although Lyon played some really good stuff. But Saint-Étienne had some chances. Claude Puel is still there for now. I think mm. a defeat probably would have cost him his place. But now the team responded well to him. And, and they got a very important point against, as you said, the arch rivals and the, the enemies. So I think he will stay in place for a little bit more, but they need to get more points now and, and react. Absolutely. All right. Well, I'll have to wait until after the international break because for now, French football focuses on the Nations League finals, which we'll be talking about later on. Next up, hey, Rafa, tell us about the Bundesliga. So, Mr. Biasa, what's troubling you? Well, Doctor, my translator is constantly undermining me. Last week I told everyone to take five and get an ice cream, but he told them to run laps and practice their shooting. Sometimes it seems they don't know what they're doing, but with Paddy Power you always know you're getting top draw rewards. If one leg of your bet builder on a football game lets you down, get your money back as a free bet. Paddy Power! Pretty much bet builder bets only max free bet £10 per day. Excludes enhanced match odds. Min four plus legs, min odds one fifth per leg. Online exclusive T's and C's apply. 18 plus aware.org. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Bundesliga has mentioned shock at the Allianz as Bayern get beaten 2-1 by Eintracht Frankfurt. Bayern's first home defeat in 30 games, is that right, Rafa? Frankfurt's first win away at Bayern in 21 years. 
Yeah, it was a shock. And I don't think that uh, Frankfurt necessarily believed that they would get a result, but they played with real courage. They, they had a goal. They defended very, very well and took advantage of Bayern perhaps being slightly below par, certainly in front of goal. Whereas we said they, they missed a lot of chances and, and at the back where Diop Mikano didn't look good for the equaliser and didn't look so great in one or two other situations. And also Manuel Neuer with the Philip Kostic winner, not quite as his usual reliable self. So yeah, all in all, sort of a, a, a bad day at the office type performance from Bayern, but nothing that they would, I think, lose too much sleep over. They've been too good and too dominant, even in this game to think that something fundamentally is wrong that needs fixing. It does make the situation at the top of the Bundesliga very interesting. Four teams separated by just one point, Bayern and Bayer. Leverkusen now level uh, with a point behind them. Dortmund, who beat Augsburg 2-1, and Freiburg. Interesting. Uh, worth a shout-out for RB Leipzig, certainly, who down in eighth place, but beat Borkham 3-0 with that man Unkunku getting another brace. Crikey. And yet this is the same side that got beaten by Bruges a few days ago, Rafa. Yeah, I mean, they were really under pressure. Even in that game, the, the crowd or sections of the crowd were jeering them because it was nil-nil at half time, and they were short of ideas. But Jesse Marsh got lucky, or if you will, was inspired with his substitutions. Dominic uh, Somerslai came on and Andre Silva came on and Silva scored the opener and then Bochum kind of collapsed a little bit. And Nkunku, who is very much the man of the moment, uh, scored two more to make it a very pleasant scoreline. I don't think they're quite out of the woods yet because this was probably the worst team they've played all season and in all other games they've really struggled. And there is still, I think, this underlying tension between what Jesse Marsh wants to do and what the team have really been doing under Nagelsmann and in, in a way designed to do, which is play a lot more with the ball with Jesse Marsh, there seems to be sort of a, a step back to the uh, more extreme transition and pressing game that, that Leipzig took through the leagues uh, into the Bundesliga when they when they got promoted for the first time. And I'm not sure, you know, it is a great fit at the moment because you can see that tension play out on the pitch. But that result certainly would help them to have a, a slightly more quiet international break. But then, of course... Our dear friends from PSG will welcome them in the French capital before too long, and that could be another difficult night for them. Mm. Uh, when the Champions League returns, as it stands though, Rafa, the, the Bundesliga, the top being so very tight, could you see by Leverkusen, who were brilliant, Thursday night in the Europa League away in Glasgow, a 4-0 win at Celtic, uh, could you see them making an actual stab at the title this time around? They're certainly playing well enough at the moment to suggest that they can that they can stay the course, if you will. I've been looking really, really good. Real fluidity. They played again very well against Bielefeld, 4-0, uh, with Wirtz and Schick being the outstanding performers in that game. And there's real quality. And Gerardo Sorone has managed to do something that has eluded uh, Peter Bosch, at least, um, didn't really find sort of consistent reflection on the pitch, which is that stability that was missing between attack and defence. They seem to have it now. But one is always reluctant to talk Leverkusen up too much because they invariably sort of let you down. I think we can have this conversation if they win their next game in the Bundesliga, 
which is at home to Bayern mm. and Bye. first meets second after the international break. So that should be very, very interesting. Will tell us a lot more about how good they really are. All right. Dortmund, meantime, winning without Haaland this time around and without a clean sheet yet again, but a 2-1 victory over Augsburg. Anything else we should know about this Bundesliga weekend, Rafa? I think we sort of covered it. Um, Köln, maybe a word for Köln. Maybe mm. a quick word on Freiburg. I mean, they're they now the only unbeaten team left in the league. They're fourth, which is incredible considering their player wages are 40 million euros a year. That's the whole squad, not one of them. And it's the best ever start to the Bundesliga. I'm not sure that will they will finish there. I think mid-table is more realistic, but considering that they have really very little money and not exactly a, a squad full of superstars, you have to, once again, uh, take off your flat cap if you're Stefan Gaumgart, the Cologne coach, or your hat, to what Christian Streich is doing with this team, which is the absolute maximum and, and beyond. How about this Haaland's injury? It's bad enough that he's missing the international games. Certainly Dortmund's saying he cannot play. It's not something that's going to be a long-term problem, but he can't play and I think Dortmund aren't too happy that he's going to miss a couple of weeks, as indeed they were when Gary Southgate and the Bellingham family jointly decided, if reports in Germany are to be believed, that uh, he might be better off sitting sitting these games out with England. So Dortmund uh, have their two best players, hopefully fit and ready when the domestic calendar resumes. Mm. Well, fingers crossed, them two. And next up, ahead of our big Nations League chat, it's coming. We'll catch up on the latest from Syria. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And with Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite according to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. And that's got to be good news for all you Man United fans out there, eh? Pre-match bet builders only. Get your stake back as a free bet. Minimum four plus legs. Max free bet £10. Excludes enhanced match odds. T's and C's apply. It's over 18s only. And please gamble responsibly. Battere. Poi si avvicina ancora Zilischi che va al cross in aria. Il colpo di testa. Goal, 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 goal. Rachmani, Rachmani, Rachmani di testa. Sulla fitta del Napoli. City A, James. Napoli top, Milan second. Last time Napoli started this well. They finished second, but set a new club record points total. Last time Milan started this well, they went on to win the title. Both teams with big wins away uh, this Sunday. Milan 3-2 at Atalanta. Napoli, was this their toughest test yet? And and how impressed were you with the the way they came from behind in Florence? Uh, Toughest test, maybe, given that um, they faced Juventus when Juventus was still figuring things out. Uh, and, a, and a bit of a, a mess under Allegri because Fiorentina have been uh, one of the revelations uh, so far this season. Certainly really difficult um, to play against. They came back from behind. It was, yeah, the seventh game, what, in, in this space between the September and October international games and breaks. And usually uh, players are pretty tired uh, by that time. Uh, but yeah, they keep finding goals from set pieces, really clever ones. Uh, I mentioned... You know how they copied Dortmund for the Rachmani goal. Uh, equally, the one they scored against Udinese, were really clever free kicks. So they're clearly doing a lot of work uh, on that. And then, you know, they've got a a player, Ossiman, who 
has the potential to be the, the top goal scorer in, in the league, absolute, without any doubt, because now Ronaldo's gone, Lukaku's gone. You look at Juventus, you know, Allegri says Chiesa can become a striker, um, but I think only for certain games. Moise Ken is still young. Morata's, you know, Morata. Um, and uh, and Dybala is not a striker, uh, although he, he, on his day he can score a lot of goals. Um, so yeah, Osimhen, uh, yeah, the future is is his oyster, I suppose. But I, I think the other, the, the, my concern for Napoli isn't so much how they're playing at the moment. It's what happens when the African Cup of Nations comes around, right? Because Koulibaly will go and play for Senegal. Uh, and Guisa will, will will go. Osimhen will go and play with uh, with with Nigeria, uh, and that's the spine of the team. Yeah, those three guys have been magnificent. I mean, Anguissa has uh, has has been a uh, one of the smartest signings I think of the the summer transfer window. Uh, and just he allows them to recover the ball, play higher up the pitch. Um, yeah, he's he's been brilliant. So that's my only doubt uh, about uh, about Napoli so far. So. Uh, we'll see, but yeah, to to go and win in Florence this season uh, is is much much harder. So that's good. I mean, that game in the end was blighted by the racist abuse that uh, Kalidou Koulibaly suffered. Um, it's not the first instance, and unfortunately, uh, this season, uh, no sooner do crowds come back, even just fifty percent crowds, we've seen Mike Magnan, the uh, Milan goalkeeper. Uh, be subjected to to racist abuse at the Juventus Stadium uh, when Juventus played Milan. Um, Juventus managed to identify the culprit, kick him out, banning order uh, for life. And then also Timu Bakayoko, the same. Um, only the previous weekend, another another Milan player. So um, this is something that uh, the league's got to got to get on top of, um, unfortunately. Um, and I thought um, Koulibaly was was fantastic to call the fan out actually whilst he was there. I mean, it was very kind of face-to-face uh, confronting him on it. His teammates coming out, Osimhen as well, um, telling him he needs to sort of go and speak to his family and, you know, ask if, uh, if if he should be behaving that way. He shouldn't be behaving that way. He should be banned for life. Um, he should be prosecuted criminally as well. So um, so that was the blight on, on, on that game. Um, and then, as you say, Milan probably with one of their most impressive performances, if not the most impressive performance, uh, under Stefano Pioli in, in Bergamo. Mm. A 3-0 win with a kind of funny bit at the end in which Atalanta suddenly scored two goals. Uh, but it was, it was total dominance for, for a large part of the, of the game. Uh, and, I mean, is there a weakness in this Milan side? And what happens when Ibrahimovic and Giroud get back into the kind of, you know, in line for the starting lineup again? Well, they've got more depth, more options, uh, more ways to win games um, because not everyone will uh, pose the same problems that Atalanta um, do um, to Milan. I thought uh, Stefano Pioli got his strategy spot on. I mean, he's often been criticised for being one-dimensional. Uh, his tactics are a bit simplistic, plays 4-2-3-1, doesn't deviate from it. Uh, and in, yet in this game, uh, his game plan was absolutely fantastic with Kessie dropping into the defence, Teo Hernandez coming into midfield, completely short-circuited um, the kind of man-marking system that Atalanta play all over the pitch. Um, I think at 1-0, they had opportunities to, to score earlier, uh, score the second goal earlier. But in that time, Mike Manian, who's been absolutely outstanding for them, came up with a couple of big saves on uh, Zappa Costa, on uh, Duvan Zapata. And then, I mean, you saw why Milan are leading all the kind of 
charts on high press um, passes per defensive action because Tenali wins the ball high up the pitch, goes and scores the second goal. And uh, and the third was uh, was 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 another emphatic finish from Leao. He doesn't really score boring goals anymore, um, which is which is magnificent. So, yeah, in terms of a weakness, I, I think they they don't press as well as they did uh, on Sunday night when Zlatan's in the team. I mean, he's forty mm. years old. He's not as agile as. Um, do you do you uh, see him coming back Rebic. into the team much? Do you think Pioli will in certain make situations? Room for him? Yeah, I think against against certain opponents. Uh, yeah, I mean he's got to get himself fit. I mean, he's forty, and you know it's it's not just oh I need my knee repaired, I have to have surgery. It's oh, you know, day before the game at Anfield against Liverpool, my Achilles is tight. Now his groin's tight. Um, I mean, it's normal for a player of his age to for his body to 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 play tricks on him, no matter how good his physical preparation uh, is. Um, I think, you know, what I would say is you go back 18 months, Milan lost 5 million Bergamot with Stefano Pioli in charge. Um, and at that point, uh, the ownership basically broke glass and said, right, let's sign Zlatan, uh, Salamakas and Kier. And all of a sudden, um, yeah, that team galvanizes uh, around Zlatan. The young players begin to show their potential. Pioli gets more confident. They start winning games. Uh, but I think they've shown that Zlatan served his purpose now um, and anything else that they get from him is is a bonus, expensive bonus because they're paying him <laughs> a lot of money. Mm. Um, but I think they've evolved beyond him now. Um, but I, I do think him and Giroud offer, offer something very different and they'll come up against different defences and, and teams with different approaches to Atalanta where those two guys will be, will be better um, then, then say Rebic or or whoever who else they're playing up front. But Rebic was perfect uh, to play against Atalanta on on Sunday night. Who's playing better football? Do you think between them and Napoli? <laughs> uh, it's hard. Um, I think I think Milan are playing really interesting football at the moment. As I, as I mentioned, this the, the, the interchanges of positions. Um, how involved the goalkeeper is, not just in, in in stopping goals, but in his distribution, which allows them to play higher up the pitch, beat presses. Um, you know, also, you know, Tamori, who's come in, allows them to play with a high line, you know, play high up the pitch. I was I was reading that that piece you referenced uh, from Rafa when you were trolling him about uh, about Bayern losing at the weekend. And there's that line from Ralph Ranić in there about when you play that high press and you keep winning to get the ball back high up the pitch, you, you demoralise your opponent. They, they, they begin to lose faith, lose belief. And Gasparini said exactly that after the game. He was like, we just, after a while, we, our morale just hit the floor and we, we lost control and compliments to Milan because not many teams have been able to do that to us, certainly in Serie A, maybe in the Champions League, but not in Serie A. Mm, fair enough. As it stands, they are two points behind Napoli. Milan at the top of the table with Inter a couple of points further back. Juve have climbed up to eighth uh, with a 1-0 win in the Turin derby. Slightly against the runner play, that. But also picking up with that result, their first clean sheet in 21 games in the league. Inter, in third place as mentioned, were also a little bit fortunate to get three points in their trip to Sassuolo. A 2-1 victory there. Uh, another disappointing result prior to that midweek in the Champions League and the other really big bit of bad news last week for the Nerazzurri was the announcement of those record-breaking losses, James. 200 
11 million euro for the 2020-21 season. Uh, does this presage another set of big names heading out the door, do you think, for Inter? Well, 245 million loss is, is, is the second biggest in, in Europe's top five leagues. The only, the only club that, uh, I say better, uh, if you can use better in this context, uh, that number is, is Barcelona. Um, I think that, that kind of says it all, um, really. Um, look, you know, Inter have got a lot of obligations that they've, 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 st- they've still got to meet, um, which is they have this loan from Oak Tree, this hedge fund in the States, 275 million. Um, that'll come at an interest. Um, and they've only had 80 million of that so far. Um, so I think that's why you saw the kind of scale of, uh, of player sales of Lukaku in addition to Hakimi. Um, in the summer, and then they've got these bonds maturing. You know, Suning likes likes to take on debt. That's that's how they've operated as a as a business for a, for a long time. You know, there, there's also a, a sense: are they vulnerable to contagion from what's happening with Evergrande in uh, in, in in China as well? So I don't think Inter's problems are uh, are solved, even if um, you know they they are able to operate in a in a more comfortable position than they were. <laughs> Uh, prior to getting that loan from Oak Tree, but in in terms of player departures, do you think that's something that we're going to the, the Inter fans should prepare themselves for, either at Christmas or, or next summer? That that not at Christmas because I just don't think there's there's a market for uh, for for selling players uh, in in that period. Um, I, I think come the end of the year, uh, end of the season, uh, it's very likely because they've got to become a much more disciplined, self-sustainable model. And frankly, their, their wage bill is colossal. Um, yeah, even with Lukaku going, even with Hakimi going, um, they've still got Alexis Sanchez on 7 million net. Alexis hardly ever plays. So uh, things like that still indicate that Inter need to go on a strict diet. A strict diet will, will inevitably bring uh, one or two other sales. Mm-hmm. All righty. Well, in the short-term-ish future, they got a trip down to Lancia uh, when Serie A resumes, which will be fun for Simone Inzaghi, who's just made the, the move north as inter-manager. Juve taking on Roma uh, in the next round of games as well. But before any of that, it's Nations League time. So next up, let's have a quick look ahead to this week's exciting tournament in Turin and Milan. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. We're all driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. 
Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to the Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash Totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. You're listening to the Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. Ooh, late breaking news. Alvaro. Yep, another manager has been sacked in La Liga. It's Mitchell, right. the Getafe manager. Getafe was terrible in La Liga this season. And even though Mitchell... Fashion week. <laughs> yes, I was going to say, in case you'd forgotten. <laughs> even, even though um, Mitchell is a personal friend of Angel Torres, Getafe owner, the owner of Getafe couldn't keep him for any longer. Getafe needs something new, a new manager. And... Uh, Apparently, Kike Sanchez Flores is the main candidate to be the new Getafe manager, which will tell you that uh, history is circular because Kike Sanchez Flores managed Getafe a long time ago. Mitchell, this was his second spell at Getafe too. So it would be a little bit like having Jupp Heinkes back at uh, Bayern Munich, something like that. So mm. yeah, mm, Mitchell is out. So we mean for Jupp to, com- to compare him to Mitchell or Fashion Week, you know. <laughs> Mitchell was a fine player, man. I mean, yeah, maybe his managerial man- history is not great, manager. but... We all know that. He's a <laughs> terrible a pl- manager, man. That's a pleasure. It was fantastic. Jules, <laughs> mm. who's your favourite manager? Certainly not Fashion Week, that's for sure. I mean, okay. can you imagine if, if, if the manager is that bad that the players nickname him Fashion Week right. in Marseille, where they don't even have a Fashion Week, I'm like, right. I mean, this must be really bad. I mean, there are worse nicknames, I'm sure, that managers have received. But we hear a lot about managers who you don't rate. So who do you rate? Who's your, who's your number one? Not Valverde. No, and not the no. Dutch guy currently on the Barca bench or the right. former Dutch guy on the uh, Netherlands bench. The, my number one now? I don't, uh, Pep, I think. Yeah. still think that he... Not Poch. Not Poch, yeah. No, come on. Not Poch. Or not Pioli. Or not, but I like... I was a swallow last night and I, I was catching up with all the football I missed because it was my sister's wedding uh, this weekend. Oh, yeah. congratulations. And I love the way I swallow played against, uh, with a very young, bright manager too. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, but Pep, I think Pep has to be the first choice. Right? Okay, everyone happy with Pep as Jules' choice, Rafa? <laughs> yes. <laughs> there you go. All right then. Nations League, everyone. Spain. Hooray! France! Hurrah! Italy! Woof! Not Germany, Rafa. Uh, pumps the uh, next Germany one. Germany are not quite... I was going to say, it's the no. first time the four it's, of us... Oh, no, Germany... I it's Belgium. Germany. Belgium. Oh. It's the Nations League finals, which slowly, secretly, UEFA have been preparing to unleash upon an unsuspecting world. At least in the UK, very few people are aware of this. Perhaps in, in these respective nations... People are agog. They've been whipped up into a state of feverish excitement over the semi-finals on Wednesday and Thursday. Wednesday, Italy against Spain at San Siro. Thursday in Turin, France against Belgium. And two great matchups, you have to say. Both recent semi-finals, Italy, Spain from this summer's Euro Championships and France, Belgium from the 2018 World Cup. Woof. Are people excited about this in France, Spain, Italy, Belgium? Alvaro? Not that much. Not that oh. much. I think that the, in Spain, the main thing has been the mm, dissection of Luis Enrique's squad more than who do they play against. 
Okay. Uh, is there not a big revenge narrative, though, given that they are playing against Italy, who beat them on penalties in the, what was it, the semi-finals? No, no, not really. Not really this time. Uh, maybe there is a little bit of a build-up over the next couple of days, but I don't think so. Again, oh. uh, the fact that there are not many Real Madrid players, Spain is struggling to qualify for the World Cup and all that, is basically um, basically taking all the narrative more than the Nations League. Okay. Italy, who put Spain out, let me remind you, Alvaro, at Wembley on penalties, Spain had had 70% possession, 16 shots to Italy's seven. Pedri will be absent this time, is that right? Pedri will be absent. Uh, mm. Spain has many absentees, in fact, because Dani Olmo is not there, Morata is not there, Gerard Moreno is not there. So players who can be dangerous, uh, they are going to be missing. There are some new players like Jeremy Pino, for example, or Gavi from Barcelona, that they might get a chance. I believe that the reason why Luis Enrique is capping so many young players is because he takes the November uh, fixtures more seriously than these ones. Uh, because as I said before, Spain has to qualify for the World Cup. Mm. Uh, and uh, I think that uh, Spain will try to dominate the game the same way. And I remember very well that uh, against Italy, Spain managed to give Jorginho a torrid time, just putting uh, Dani Olmo behind him, just doing whatever he wanted. Let's see who the new Dani Olmo for Spain can be, considering the player from Leipzig is absent. But I think that this is a good game, but Italy has better individuals to win it, definitely. Mm. I'm just having a quick check on the... Spain currently top of the World Cup qualifying group with a four-point lead over Sweden. Why are you so... Oh, I see, but they've, they've played two games more than the Swedes and the Greeks. <laughs> yeah, right. that's it. That's it. Mm, it's going to be tough. I think that Greece did a massive favour to Spain because they beat Sweden. And now Spain depends on their own results to qualify. But there is a potential uh, World Cup qualifier between Spain and Sweden um, coming up very soon. And whoever wins that game is going to qualify for the World Cup as first. And I think that uh, Spain has been far from convincing over the last three or four games. And all the good spirits that came from the Euro, uh, they are pretty much gone. Because, uh, as I said, the team hasn't been any consistent. Crikey. All right, a bit of a sideshow for Spain. What about uh, for the Italians, James, on that all-time world record of 37 games unbeaten now? Yeah, I did see Luis Enrique saying that uh, all these records have to come to an end at some point, uh, which is true. Um, I think Italy will be relieved that Daniel Mo is not playing because he was absolutely outstanding in that semi-final. Uh, unfortunately for him, he then missed the first penalty uh, in the shootout, um, which yeah, was the only blemish on on what was brilliant, brilliant display uh, from him. Uh, but uh, Mancini's mainly gone with continuity. Um, he's gone with the, the guys who helped him win the European Championship. Um, there's a couple of injuries uh, on Sunday night uh, affecting Atalanta, Toloi, uh, and also Piscina. Um, so Davide Calabria scored Milan's opening goal. is coming for Toloi and Federico Di Marco from Inter is, is taking the place of um, Piscina. Um, so they're the only two, ch- two new faces. Pellegrini's also in. Pellegrini scored Roma's uh, first goal against Empoli, signed a new contract. He was a late withdrawal from the... Uh, uh, the Euro squad because he got an injury so he was aggrieved to miss it but apart from that I think it will be more or less the same team that we saw in the Euros as well mm. uh, Did he call up Lorenzo Luca in the end as he was threatening to do the kind of two metre tall uh, second division striker who's tearing it up The Tower of Pisa no mm. he, he didn't give uh, he didn't want to give a Luca a Luca um, so 
Um, so he's no, I think he's he's with the under twenty ones as is right. Okay, as is Tonali still because there was some some speculation late Sunday night after a very good Tonali performance that Tonali would move up from the under twenty ones, uh, who's captaining at the moment, uh, back to the to the first team, but that hasn't come to pass. All right, James, crackling with excitement there, like Alvaro about the prospect of this uh, semi final. Jules, how about you and with with the French and and the clash with Belgium on Thursday? Uh, Didier Deschamps France had a brilliant qualifying for these uh, final games, but since then have had an absolutely rotten run of form. That's right, James, because before they, they won against Finland, they, they hadn't won in five. Uh, five draws in a row as well. And then the defeat, obviously, on pens against Switzerland at the, at the Euros. Actually, if you look at the four semi-finalists, only Belgium have won the three games since the Euros. From Spain, Italy and France, all of them, I mean, Italy had, had a win eventually after two draws. Spain lost in Sweden, but then won two in a row. And France won that game against Finland. But it's not, it was not great for them in the last international break at all for the other three. So it would be very interesting. And I think Deschamps will play with a back three like he did against Finland. For the first time in a very long time, we've got two brothers with the national team as the two Hernandez made it this time. We had Theo uh, last month, but his brother was injured. Now his brother Lucas is, is back. So they're both together. Which I just love the idea. Can you imagine as a kid with your brother dreaming of one day playing for your country together? And there's a reason why it's so rare, not just in France, but everywhere. Uh, it's because it's, it's that difficult. So well done to them, especially when you know about you know, their background and their history as a family. It's, I think it was even, even, even tougher for them. So um, well done to them. And yeah, I'm curious to see what Deschamps does, how he plays. Uh, but knowing that Martinez and Belgium will play with a back three, I think it'd be very clever from the French to do the same. I'm just trying to think of footballing brothers, internationally the speaking. Well, the Nevilles would be the prime candidate. Yeah, You've got the, the Coomans Boers. and the De Boers. Yeah, yeah, but there's yeah. not that many. In France, we've had... The Charltons. Yeah, we've had the... The Bereses. The they for Italy together? For the Italy together? The Hazard. Well. I'm sure. I'm, I'm yeah, sure Beppe got Franco a, uh, or, or Franco got Beppe a call up at some stage. Surely, right. The other Baresi. Mm. Uh, Rafa, the uh, Hoeneß brothers, the Rummenigge brothers. Okay, there we go. The Furster brothers. Nice. The Alofs brothers. Okay. Laudrup brothers. The uh, Yatore oh, brothers. Just to clarify. Yep. Beppe Baresi, eighteen caps for Italy. Okay. There you go. But okay. were any of them with his brother? <laughs> I mean, come that, on, James. I imagine uh, that given he was playing between apart. 1979 yeah. and 1986. Yes. Yeah. I mean, there, there, there I imagine there, there, there was maybe mm-hmm. one or two. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> anyway, good Lord, it seems like we've got drawn off uh, the topic with this Nations that's a good, League that's final. A good, uh, it's a good uh, quiz, you know, quiz, uh, quiz question, that, brothers in, in football. Right. In Spain, the Salinas brother, Julio Salinas and his brother, Pachi. Okay. All I right. have to research for that, by the way. <laughs> nice one, Avaro. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so there you go. So France uh, with a bit of a game on against Belgium Thursday night in Turin. The final takes place Sunday night at San Siro. And yes, Rafa, there is a third force playoff earlier that day, excitingly. Um, wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that then is what's coming up and we'll be reacting to that next time out on Totally Football Show European Edition. Anything else you'd like to leave us with, Alvaro, Rafa, James or Julien, before we sign off this edition? 
Uh, there was that great story about uh, Empoli finally receiving uh, the last instalment of, of a transfer fee. They sold a player to uh, Fenerbahce a few years ago called Miha Zajic, um, and uh, they were due to pay something like, I don't know, 10 million, three instalments. And Fenerbahce said, yeah, we've, we've paid you the last instalment. And Empoli were like, uh, no, we haven't got it. Uh, it turned out that, that they put in the wrong bank details and they had gone to a Dutch car dealer. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. Who never said anything. <laughs> Who is like, oh, you know, this is my Thank money. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. I loved it. They had to take him to court to get the money. Yeah, yeah, eventually. Yeah, yeah. so they, they got it back and now Empoli have got it. So, you know, boom. Brilliant. All right. Yeah. Was he actually a car dealer or was his name Van Dealer or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good, James. I don't know. Yeah, I like that story. Van Dealer. Boom. Okay. Uh, good. All right, then. Uh, that's it then for today's show. Listener, thank you so much for being with us right to the end. Look forward to catching up with you after the international break. Uh, but for now, it's many thanks to Alvaro and Rafa and Jules and James and producer Charlie. Have yourself a splendid Sosta, and we'll speak to you soon. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.